Hey, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here in person. Folks online, great to have you here as well. Uh, where we're going to start today is going to sound kind of like self-help advice. But just wait, it's not. Because we can't. We can't help ourselves when it comes to having the good life. So, a basic self-help principle, it's accomplishment, planning, management 101, is these, these three steps. Step one, first, you gotta know, you gotta have a good picture of where you wanna go, right? You gotta see where you wanna go. And second, and you gotta see where you are now, have a good picture of where you are now, and then step three is you gotta figure out how to get there, right? You, you have to see how to go from where you are now to where you wanna go. This is not rocket surgery or brain science. No, it, it, it's, yet it's part of life. It is actually part of how we live our lives. Um, it's even how we drive our cars. Now, I know that Google and Apple Maps have ruined our ability to find places on our own. Um, I'm old enough, actually, that I remember having uh, maps in the glove compartment. I'm old enough that I remember fighting with my wife about stopping for directions. Today, though, all you need to know is where you want to go, and your phone tells you where you are and how to get there. But all three steps are still important. When it comes to having the good life, to following Jesus and enjoying his kingdom, this is at work there, too. It's a lot harder to do that when we ignore these three steps, when we have a, phase, a hazy, a, a, you know, a vague idea of where we want to go in life, where we are now, and how to get there. Yeah, this is, this is pretty much why we've been doing this series on living the future. We've been going through the three steps, right? Jesus promises us that we can live in his kingdom where his will is done like it is in heaven. And Revelation 21 gives us a great picture of where we want to go. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. That's a symbol for there's no more chaos. Things are calm. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Yes, I want to go there. Yes, and we can through Jesus. We can. And not just when we die in the sweet by and by. No, God's kingdom is breaking through now. The future is breaking through now. It's breaking through now. But how much of that are we actually experiencing in our lives? Question two, right? Step two, where are we now? Where are we now? We need a good picture of where we are now. Ugh, 
I don't love self-reflection. It's not the best thing I'm good at. But, you know, in general, us, us followers of Jesus, where we are now is we're in the tension between the already and the not yet of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is already breaking through now. Amazing things happen in our lives. Transformation, healing, and God's kingdom is not yet completely here. Things happen now that stink. Awful, painful, heartbreaking, serious things. And we want more of the already. So how do we get there? How do we get from where we are now to where we want to go? Jesus. Jesus, right? We need more of Jesus in our lives. And actually, Jesus is the answer for all three steps. Yeah. For followers of Jesus, where we want to go isn't a place. It's a person. And step two, to, to see where we are now, we need the, a person, we need the light of Jesus to shine into the darkness of our lives. And then absolutely, Jesus, the person, is the way we get the good life, eternal life. He's the way that we enter through the narrow gate. He's the way that we build our house on the rock. That's Jesus. And Jesus is why, in this series, Living the Future, we've been looking at him, about what he says about himself in these seven I am statements in the Bible, in the book of John. So, for today, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They will have eternal life. They will have the quality of life that God has, life like him. Wow, this is big. And you know, if we had actually started reading the book of John at the beginning, instead of just like picking a verse out of the middle, um, this would not surprise us. The book of John starts this way. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. A bit more context. Um, before Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and after he says, I am the light of the world, the story, the drama, the, the, the controversy is about who is this Jesus character exactly? They weren't sure, right? There was a conflict about it. In a way, they were putting Jesus on trial to find out who he is. And Jesus drops this incredible truth bomb. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Again, it's kind of like they're putting Jesus on trial. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. Hey, it kind of looks like Jesus knows the three steps. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. 
you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. Well, wait here, sure. I mean, Jesus, the first time he came to earth, he came to save the world. But the second time when he's coming to stay, he's coming to judge the world. And even when he came the first time with his light, it shines, it reveals what's hidden in the darkness. I love the way that N.T. Wright, the Anglican theologian, puts this. Throughout the Gospels, it's clear that Jesus had not basically come to judge the world or Israel or individuals. But it's also clear that the fact of his coming to bring rescue, salvation, life, and hope would inevitably have the effect of condemning those who didn't want any of those things. Those who were so steeped in evil that the coming of light was bad news for them, not good news. That's a good one to think about. When Jesus comes with his light of truth in our lives, is that good news or is that bad news? Okay, before I get even more distracted, we need to finish the passage. So here we go. Um, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with my Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses are tr is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Okay, if we were to flip back to chapter 3 of John, we would find Nicodemus, you know, the um, Jesus-curious Pharisee. And this was the point that G Nicodemus made when he said, Jesus, we know that you are from God because no one could do the miracles, no one could do the signs that you are doing if they were not from God. Somehow these other Pharisees don't get that. So, they, then they asked him, where is your father? Jesus says, you, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke, those, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple court near the place where the offering, offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now, let's not miss how this ends here. John's saying that Jesus stopped talking and nobody killed him. For us today, this sounds like a pretty civil, you know, discussion, certainly compared to cable TV or the internet. Um, yeah, sure, Jesus, like, flips the thing on them. He, they try to put him on trial, and instead he puts the Pharisees, he puts us on trial. But nobody needs to get killed over this, right? That's not how John saw it. John said that it took a minor miracle for Jesus to get out of this conversation with his life. Why is that? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right. So our text for today is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And we're going to unpack that through the lens of the three steps that we talked about before. Really what we're going to see today is because of who Jesus is, the light of the world, we can walk in the light. We can have eternal life if we recognize, we admit where we are, and we follow Jesus. Like I said before, Jesus, he's, he's the key to having the good life, to having eternal life. He, he's the answer, the key to all three steps. So where we're going to start out with is what does Jesus say about who he is? 
What does Jesus say about who he is? Well, I mean, obviously, he says he's the light of the world, right? And that's a beautiful sentiment to embroider on a pillow. But there's more to this. It goes deeper. It does. I mean, Jesus, he uses this metaphor for the sun, for actual physical light. And this is a powerful metaphor. I I like how um, with modern science, the metaphor that Jesus uses goes even deeper. It gathers even more depth and richness as time goes on. It's like Jesus knew what science would discover about how he made the world and how he made light. So, for example, um, the light of the sun we now know that it is the source of all life on this planet. If the sun goes out, this planet is dead. We also know that because we are such visual creatures, that light, sunlight, the light that we have, is the source of truth in our lives. Because without light, we can't see. We also know that light is a major source of joy in our lives. If we are deprived of light, we get depressed and we move into despair. It's why when our kids wake up in the middle of the night screaming, we turn on the light. Do you see the metaphor? Jesus is saying that he is the source of life and of truth and of joy. And with our modern science, this metaphor goes even deeper because we now know that you need a mediator. You need something to to protect you from sunlight, right? We, We need our atmosphere here on this planet. Or sunlight not only gives life, it destroys life. It takes life, right? Direct sunlight will actually take our, it'll burn out our optic nerves. It'll take the truth out of our lives. It'll also take joy. People are tortured today with unrelenting light. We need a mediator, and we'll see in a minute that that's Jesus too. Next, beyond metaphors, Jesus is also saying that he's not just the source of actual light. He's not just the source of spiritual light. He is the ultimate source of light. This is what could have got Jesus killed. And for this, we need to go back to the first century. We need the first century context, okay? So what we really need to see is where and when did Jesus say, I am the light of the world? And for the when, we can jump back to chapter 7, and there it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, okay, it's the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a big deal. It was this week-long, seven-day feast that happened at harvest time. And the Feast of Tabernacles was to remember, it was to commemorate that God had provided. He had provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. When they left Egypt, they spent a long, long time in the wilderness without a harvest, without food, without shelter, sometimes without water, definitely without Google Maps. And God provided for them powerfully. So during the feast, they would do things like they would live in these little booths, these like little like thatched huts things. And that was to remind them so they could feel what it was like to not have a home. And they would have like a ceremony where they'd pour out water to, to remember that the Israelites were dying of thirst in the wilderness. And Moses, he strikes the stone, the rock, and God gives them water. And also during the feast, they had in the temple court this gigantic, like enormous 
candelabra with these huge lamps that would, they'd light them and they would shine out light through the whole city, this bright, bright light, because God hadn't just given them food and shelter and water, he'd also given them light. Yeah, if you go back, when the Israelites are leaving Egypt, suddenly this pillar of cloud appears, and it, shel- shel- it gives them shelter from the sun, and then at night, when it gets dark and cold, it turns into a pillar of fire, <sighs> giant fire pillar. And this pillar of cloud and fire is a big deal. It protects them. It destroys their enemies. It, um, it is way better than Google Maps to show them where to go. And it gives them light. But it goes even deeper. In Exodus 13, it says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Now, did you see the start of that? The Lord, Yahweh, went ahead of them. God himself came with his presence to give them light. That's what they remember with this giant candelabra. Okay, the when. Again, in chapter 7, it says, on the last and final night of the festival, on that night, they didn't light the candelabra because it was time to take the decorations down. It was time to pack everything up. And it was sad. I mean, sadder than when we put away our Christmas trees. I mean, sadder than, sadder than any of the other fe- ends of the festival. Because it was impossible to be in the temple courts to see this giant candelabra, oh, it was gigantic, with its cold, dark lamps, and not remember that the cloud, the presence, the glory of God had not been in the temple or anywhere else that they'd seen in years in centuries. Okay, that's where. Oh, excuse me, that's when. Now where? Where did Jesus say, I am the light of the world? Well, in chapter 8, remember, it said that he is in the temple courts in front of where the offerings are collected. Why is it so specific? It's so specific because he's right in front of the candelabra. That's where he is. And again, in verse 7, it says he spoke in a loud voice. Jesus isn't giving like a friendly talk. He's not telling some nice little parables. No, no, no. He's standing in front of this dark candelabra that represents the absence of the presence and the glory of God, and he is yelling. And he's yelling this, I am the light of the world. I am the presence, I am the glory. The thing that you have waited for for so long that you have longed for, is here the true light. And really, the thing that you have hoped for, the pillar of fire, that was just temporary. That was just partial. It was just imperfect. Now the real thing is here, me. And I'm not like any prophet that just points to the glory of God. I'm not like any teacher who just tells you about the glory of God. I am the glory of God. I am the way that the light of God can enter into you and you can enter into into it. it. This is the good life. It is eternal life. That is what Jesus said about who he is. Do we believe him? Pharisees didn't believe him. Can we, can we believe him? 
Okay, one other note about who Jesus is. Uh, remember the metaphor, the paradox there that light gives life, but it also takes life. Um, the, the Israelites didn't know about modern science of light, but they did know the Old Testament. And in Exodus 33, Moses says, I want to see your glory, God. Show me your glory. And God says, uh, well, I guess I could, I could maybe have you see my back from a distance, but no way can you see my full-on glory, right? Face to face, you would die, Moses. Sorry, Mo, you're too weak. You're, you're too sinful. One of the big things that Jesus is say, saying standing in front of that giant candelabra is, hey, I've solved that problem. I've solved that problem. Jesus is saying that he is the mediator of God's light. He makes it possible. So before, when Moses says, I want to see the light, and, and Jesus says, uh-uh, or God says, no, you can't. You can't. Now Jesus is saying, you can, and you must, and I'm how. Jesus, he humbled himself. He lived that perfect life. He became human. He, he died on that cross so that there would be a way, so that there'd be a how. And thank God that he did. Because like Moses, we all long to see God's light, to see his beauty and his glory. So maybe let's start there as we start unpacking the three steps quickly here. Okay? So, the first step is we need a good picture of where we want to go. Where we want to go. So, hey, at home, read Revelation 21. Let that picture sink in in your life. And, and meditate. Take some time to med meditate on um, John 8, 12, where it says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Where are we going? We're going to where we never walk in darkness, where we have the light of life. We have eternal life, the kind of life that God has. And it goes deeper. Moses wanted to see God's glory. Whether we realize it or not, we all do too. We do. And not just like a quick peek at God's glory. We don't want just a quick you know, selfie with God so we can put it online. We want to, to not just get near him, we want to enter in to experience his glory. C.S. Lewis, in his classic talk, The Weight of Glory, described this. Um, and this brings us, excuse me, and this brings me to the other sense of glory. Glory is brightness, splendor, luminosity. We are to shine as the sun. We are to be given the morning star. I think I begin to see what it means. In one way, of course, God has given us the morning star already. You can go and enjoy the gift on, any, on, on many fine mornings if you get up early enough. What more, you may ask, do we want? Ah, but we want so much more. Something the books on aesthetics take little notice of, but the poets and the mythologies know all about it. We do not want merely to see beauty, though, God knows, even that bounty is enough. We want something else, which can hardly be put in words. 
to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. Do you see clearly where followers of Jesus are going? We're, we're not just getting our sins forgiven so we get our ticket to heaven. No, so much more. We're, we're, we're not just, it's not just sin management that will stop hurting ourselves with our sin. No, no. We are to shine like the sun. We experience God's love and his beauty, and it makes us more and more like God. The amazing thing in Revelation 21 is that all things are made new, including you and me. We are made new. This, it's such a beautiful picture of where we're going. I want to go there. Do you? I pray that you do. I hope that you do. How much do we want to go there? Okay. We got to do step two. Where are we now? Where, where do followers of Jesus start? Well, uh, we start in darkness. I mean, does anyone follow the news? I mean, this world is in such darkness, right? So many things are so, so messed up in our society, our culture. And it's true for us as individuals, too. It's like we live in the pitch dark, right? And we're lucky when we just stub our toe or skin our knee, right? We make such bad decisions in the dark. It's like we fall off the cliff and we end up bloody and bruised spiritually and emotionally, we live in the dark. And Jesus, he says, hey, you know what your problem is? You need to turn on the light. And we're like, duh, I know, but I can't. I don't know how. How do you feel when I say that? Can you relate to that? And it's not just that we make bad decisions, that we, we don't know which way to go in our life to have the good life. No, many of us are doing bad things in the dark. Some of us are hiding things from our spouses because we don't want them to see. Some of us are hiding things from our friends, our coworkers. Some of us, okay, probably all of us, are hiding things from ourselves. Holy Spirit, come, come now, and shine your light of truth into the darkness in our lives. Help us to see, to admit to ourselves, to you, what's really going on in our lives. Come, Lord. Okay, remember the text, right? That um, Jesus, the Pharisees try to put Jesus on trial, and he flips it and puts them on trial. Same's true for us. Yeah, and the verdict's in. We start out guilty. Guilty. If, this is in John chapter 3 where it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Okay, without Jesus, things are bad for us. I'm guilty. You're guilty. And, and we don't like to take a close look at that, right? We, we don't want to really take a look at what's going on, where we really are. 
But you know, following Jesus, it requires us to start by humbling ourselves. Because we did the crime, but we can't do the time. No, we, we can't have life. We, we can't have it without Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. We have to ask him for his pity. And even more, so many people think that following Jesus is, hey, it's just, you, just, you just live a good life, right? You just follow Jesus' example. No. Jesus says, hey, that ain't good enough. I don't grade on a curve. You got to be perfect. You, you got to come to me empty-handed. You got to follow me with nothing. Is that what we're doing? Is that where we are in our lives? And I tell you, um, this whole humility thing, it's not just how it starts. Seeing our sin is how it continues as we follow Jesus. Uh, when I was on my sabbatical last year, I had a powerful experience of God's love and His beauty. And I saw the depths of my sin in a new and painful way. I both felt worse about myself, and I felt so, so much better about myself. And I'm told that that doesn't go away. The closer we get to the light, the closer we get to Jesus, we see both our sin and his incredible goodness and love and beauty. And the humility it takes to do that is so worth it. So worth it. All right. So hopefully now all of us have a better idea of where we want to go, a picture of where we want to go, and a picture of where we are now. Now, how do we get there, right? How do we get there? Tell you what, the answer has been in front of us the whole time. Um, Jesus again said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to, to be his disciple, his apprentice, his student? I'll tell you, that could take a lifetime to unpack. It's a good reason to keep coming back to church. For today, though, we're going to focus in on the fact that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If we're followers of Jesus, he's our light. Ours. So, when, when we have to make decisions, right? We do what Jesus wants, right? We actually pray. We, we look in the Bible for answers, and then we do what Jesus wants. Yeah, if we're followers of Jesus, when our culture, our, the internet, right, our favorite personalities, our politicians tell us what's right, we don't just go by that. Jesus is our light, and we do what he wants because that's what leads to the good life. Or, you know, when our, our friends, our relatives, our co-workers tells us what's right. We don't just go by that because Jesus is our light and we do what he wants because that leads to the abundant life. And even when our hearts, our desires, our emotions, our impulses tell us what's right, we don't go by that, just go by that. No, Jesus is our light and we do what he wants because it makes us more like Jesus. Is that how we're living our lives? This is a big part of following Jesus. Whew, really is. 
Um, I got to tell you, though, today, we don't have time to unpack everything that's involved with following Jesus. But we can, we can get a little more practical on how we can press into having Him as our light, following Him as our light. So, a couple of things just quick. First, how we get there is through obedience. It is. Now, hold on, wait. We don't get there through following the rules. We get there through Jesus. But the thing is, the good life, the abundant life, is following Jesus' commands. If you don't believe me, read 1 John. It's the Holy Spirit, right, coming into our lives and transforming us from the inside so that we can live like Jesus did. All right, really practically, folks will ask. They'll say, hey, you know, if I'm going to follow Jesus, do you mean that um, I can't do whatever I want with my money? That I actually have to be generous like Jesus? Do you mean, if I follow Jesus, do you, do you mean I can't do whatever I want with my sexuality? I have to, like, only use my sexuality in a, a permanent, exclusive marriage? Do you, do you mean if I follow Jesus, I can't do whatever I want with my time? I actually have to serve people? If I follow Jesus, I have to, I can't say whatever I want? I gotta actually tell the truth? If I follow Jesus, I can't do whatever I want with my enemies? I have to forgive them? I actually have to love them? Seriously? This stinks, right? You know, we, we, this is un-American. We need our freedom. What folks are actually saying is they don't think they can come into the light. They don't think they can go into the light because they'll wither and die in the light. And that's just not true. Jesus, the Bible, is clear. It's only when we come into the light. It's only when we experience the Holy Spirit, when we obey, and, and when, we, when we actually do Jesus' will. It's only in that place that we experience real life, real freedom, real strength in our lives. See, obedience and abundance, they are the same thing in the kingdom of God. Now, I need to say something really important. Some of you hear that and you're like, oh, wow, okay, so the way to where we want to go is obedience. I guess I just need to try harder in my life. No. Jesus did not come to say try harder. Jesus came to change us with his light and his love and his beauty. Another huge part of this is his beauty. His beauty changing us. And I got to tell you, that is a very personal, it's like a custom experience for each of us. I can't tell you how his beauty is going to ravish your life and capture it, but I know that it happens. And I know there are some common themes. I've seen them in my own life. I've seen them in the Bible. So quickly, um, one of those themes is when we go at it directly, right? When, when we actually like we're doing in this series, when we take a hard look at Jesus or we read the Bible and see what God did throughout the story, what Jesus did at the cross, when, when we take time to see what God's done through church history, when we take time to reflect and see what he's done in our own lives. And really, it is incredible the things God has done. We see his incredible beauty through what he's done and I'll tell you that, when we enter into that beauty, when, when we participate in that beauty, it changes us. It is not willpower. Uh-uh. It's more like reflex. 
I, I want to be more loving and more generous and more compassionate when I see the beauty of Jesus' love and his generosity and his compassion. When he becomes more attractive, everything else becomes less attractive. This is how we obey. And I think some of you have probably experienced that. And if you haven't, you can. And, and, and if you ha have, you more of it is good. So this is the, all we really need to do is open ourselves up to the beauty and love of God. Why wouldn't we want to do that? This, this is why it is so great to spend regular time with God, right? Praying, reading the Bible, worshiping Him. That is so great. This is why nature is such a great tool for us because we can marvel at His creation. The God that made this beautiful day is full of love and beauty, and he wants to put that in us. Do we want to press into that, into his beauty? Okay, a second way is a little more indirect way to press into this. For me, this has been where the Holy Spirit will say, hey, John, I think we need to change this area of your life. And usually I'm like, nah, I don't want to. But sometimes I'll take his hand and I'll say, okay, Let's take a leap, and hopefully Jesus will meet me. And sure, I'll be honest, there's times I mess it up and make it just about trying harder. But when I do take Jesus' hand, and I say to him things like, okay, Jesus, I see this area, and I admit it, my pride is out of control here. It's hurting people, and we gotta, something has to happen, and I can't do it, but I think you can, so let's give this a shot. When I do that, oh, sometimes crazy things happen. God shows up, and I see this change in me. And you know what I see in me? Incredible beauty, the beauty of Jesus being formed in me. I think this has a lot to do with the fact that Jesus didn't just say, I am the light of the world. He said to his apprentices, you are the light of the world in Matthew 5. Because the light of Jesus is in us. His glory is in us shining through. Where is that in us shining through? Because it is in incredible ways. When people look at our lives, what do they see? The, the way that we respond to criticism or the way that we um, treat other people, maybe the people that are under us, or the way we respond to trouble, to heartbreaking and serious situations. When people see that, sometimes are they amazed? Are they like, whoa, that's different? What, are they seeing the beauty of Jesus? Yeah, sometimes they are. And it's pointing them to Jesus. Do we see it too? And I tell you, this is something that we can always get more of. Maybe even now, the Holy Spirit is pointing out an area in our lives that could change so that people, so that we could see more of God's beauty in our lives. Do we see those places where we can shine like the sun even now? All right, there you go. That's your self-help talk for today that wasn't really about self-help. Um, but the, the, the three steps are legit, right? And, and they do work when it comes to, to having the good life, when they come to having eternal life, but it's really all just about Jesus, who he is, the light of life, the source of, the source of life and joy and truth, and, and he is the, he's the presence and he's the glory of God. He's the mediator that died on that cross to make it all possible for us. Really, the three steps work with Jesus, 
Step one, Jesus, right? He's where we want to go to, into His life, into His light and His truth, His kingdom. Step two, Jesus, right? He shines His truth into the darkness of our lives in such a loving way. And He, he shows us that we are guilty, but He has prayed, paid the price on the cross. And step three is Jesus too. He's how we get what we've always longed for more and more of his kingdom. Oh, let's press into this. Hey, I invite you now to stand up with me. Um, we're going to press into this, and we're going to ask Jesus to come and make this even more real in our lives. So uh, if you're online, make yourself comfortable, because now we're really going to press into what God wants to do. So Holy Spirit, I invite you here now. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. And Lord, as I've been praying, I've come to realize that you are way more excited about transforming us and about taking us into your kingdom than even we are. So I'm going to just ask for that first off. Deposit some of your excitement in each and every one of us. Help us to see where we're going as followers of Jesus and help us to be excited about it. Help us to long for what's in Revelation 21. Help us to see your light shining in our lives as good. Yeah, sometimes it hurts, but it is still good. And Lord, as, as you come, Holy Spirit, and that excitement builds in us, Lord, let that motivate us to participate in this with you, to let you in, to see the darkness in our lives, to see where we're really at. Even now, Holy Spirit, come. Come to each of us and shine your light of truth. Where are the things that we are hiding? Where are the things that need to change? Let us surrender those to you. And God, I love that miracle where when you change us, we start to see more and more of your beauty in us, transforming us. Oh, Lord, come. You are so good, and your work is so good. Bring it to completion in us. We know that you will. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You know, I'd like to invite the ministry team to come forward, and a great way to respond to this is to let someone pray for you. If you're feeling a ton of excitement right now, let someone pray for you. If you're not feeling any excitement at all, that's a great reason to come forward and let someone pray. Maybe you see those areas in your life that need to change. Let's pray about those. Maybe you don't. Let's ask Jesus to show you. Come forward and let someone pray for you. Let that be a tool to draw you more into what God is doing in your life. They're going to lead us here in some more worship, and I'm going to encourage you to just slow down. Take some time here. Let this sink in. Let it not be about self-help or trying harder for you. Let it be about you today, right here, right now, letting Jesus in. Thank you so much for coming to the Vineyard.